Gracious and loving God, we thank you for the gift of baptism as the sign and seal of our new life in Jesus. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Through the prophet Isaiah, God says, You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Now, I do have more to say, and I hope that the Spirit guides my speaking and your listening. But really, if that's all you get today, that will be a gracious plenty. God says to each of us and to all of us, you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you. Each year on the first Sunday after the Epiphany, we remember the baptism of our Lord, which we heard about in the reading from Luke. Baptism along with Eucharist are the two most central sacraments of the church. They give us our identity, our mission, and they bring us into the life and love of God as nothing else can. Now, I've preached a lot through the years on Eucharist. And while I often refer to baptism, I'm not sure that I've ever preached on baptism in a sustained way. So for these Sundays after the Epiphany, until we get to Ash Wednesday, I will be focusing on baptism in the sermons. What baptism is, means, and does. For today, the main point that I will make about baptism is that it is the sign and seal of God's presence with us. We heard in Isaiah the promise that I will be with you. And if we were to look up a textbook definition of a sacrament, we would find that it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and spiritual grace. In other words, God's grace and love are not things that we can measure with a scale or a ruler. We need something to make this grace tangible and experiential, and God knows that about us. And so out of great concern and love for us, God has given baptism to the church. Baptism is the sign of this love. It's similar to a wedding. The couple who walks down this aisle is usually in love with one another before they exchange their vows and they are certainly committed to one another. And what happens is in a wedding is the naming of this reality, which allows for further growth and flourishing in that grace and love. Just as a wedding names the new reality of this relationship that comes in marriage, baptism names the new life of grace that we are given as God's children. And baptism does actually do something, just as a wedding actually changes something in a couple. Those of you who are married know that there is a difference in your relationship between the rehearsal dinner and the reception dinner. The same thing happens in ordination and also in confession. Something changes in hearing those words of absolution and forgiveness proclaimed. And so baptism is not inconsequential. We are sacramentally transformed by those waters in the same way that two people walk down this aisle as single people 
and they walk down again as a married couple. And like a couple, you might not necessarily be able to look at two people and tell if they are married. You will not find evidence for their marriage under a microscope. But we all know that something has changed. Their priorities are different. Their commitments are different. Their purpose is different. They are forever changed as two have become one flesh. And something no less powerful or gracious happens in baptism. As to what this change is, it is best described in a passage from Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so too we might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. What baptism does is to sacramentally show us that we are dead to sin, that we are captives to no one. We are not the worst thing that we have ever done. We are not our mistakes. We are not our should-haves. Baptism is the sign that we are dead to sin. And just as we are united to Christ's death, we are also joined to his resurrection, meaning that we live in this world not in fear of death, not without hope, not with uncertainty of the future. We are a witness, a testimony to the fact that God can redeem all things, ourselves included. One of the great prayers of our prayer book includes the line that through the church, the whole world might see and know that things which were cast down are being raised up. Things that had grown old are being made new. And that all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made, Jesus Christ. God is doing amazing, gracious, and wonderful things. And in baptism, we are joined to that power working in the world that cannot be stopped, even by death. I do also want to make it clear that though this sacramental grace comes through baptism, it does not come from baptism. What makes a sacrament a sacrament is God's grace, not our actions or gestures. There is nothing magical about baptism. The words that we say when we gather around the font are not incantations. The sacraments are sure and certain vehicles of God's grace, yes, but God's grace will be found anywhere that God wants it to. All this is to say that no one is given salvation because they are baptized. Only God gives us salvation. Yes, those who are baptized certainly are saved through baptism and they can be confident of that. But that does not mean that God will not or cannot shine his grace beyond the limits of our sacraments. That's what makes grace grace. It doesn't depend on human action. The sacraments are the gift that God has given to the world through the church to be the clearest expressions of this love. But let us never exchange our humility for arrogance when it comes to declaring 
who God will choose to save. And if we pay close attention to this passage from Isaiah, we see the text making this very point. In these seven verses, there are at least that many instances of the word I. God is clearly the subject, and we are the objects being acted upon in being formed, created, redeemed, chosen, and loved. Now to be clear, anytime someone comes to the waters of baptism, it is a time to celebrate and rejoice. Whether that person is three months old or 90 years old, it's always the right time for a baptism. But in our tradition, we usually baptize babies. And that is spot on with this understanding of grace. Because a baby cannot confess a creed. A baby cannot get itself to church. A baby is helpless, needy, and dependent. And we are only fooling ourselves if we think that we ever outgrow that. Isaiah reminds us that it is God who creates us. It is God who forms us. It is God who keeps the waters from overwhelming us and the flames from consuming us. Baptizing babies is so meet and right to do because it reminds us that we are all the beloved children of God who are utterly dependent on God to be with us. Isaiah then describes several things that God's presence with us means. The first is that God created us, and God doesn't make mistakes. Whatever people tell you, whatever you might think about yourself, you were wonderfully created by the very same God who created the Blue Ridge Mountains and the sunsets on High Rock Lake and the beauty of the starry night. You are just as beautiful, just as amazing as anything in all of creation. And God made us not in the way that humans make a child, but in an even more intimate and splendid way. We are made in God's own image. And so God is always with us because we are images and icons of God. Another way that God is with us is that God calls us by name, both as individuals and as a community. Yes, God is very big and we are very small, but we are never forgotten, never ignored, never lost. Rather, we are always known and loved by God. When we are caught up in the chaos of waters up to our neck or surrounded by flames, God is with us. And this is the very same God who spoke creation into being, who split apart the sea and led the people out of bondage in Egypt into freedom, who was with David when he slew Goliath, who answered Hannah's prayer for a child, who tells us that he would give up Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba for us. In Isaiah's time, Israel was a small and unremarkable people. Those other nations were the superpowers. But God says, I don't care how big or strong or wealthy or popular they are. I love you. This is the same God who gave Mary the faith to say, let it be with me according to your word who called St. Paul to repentance and made him an apostle, who gave strength and courage to the martyrs of our faith. This is the same God who was born as one of us, 
who died out of love for the world on the cross and who rose victorious on the third day. That's who you've got in your corner. And baptism is the sign and the seal of that promise that God is always with us. And this God who did all of those things says that you are precious and honored and I love you. You want to know why I so deeply trust that all shall be well? That's why. Because if God loves us, it's all going to be okay. And this truth is something that Elizabeth Duncan Kuntz knew and treasured in her heart. Libby, as she was known, was a member of St. Philip's Episcopal Church here in Salisbury. That's the church depicted in the upper left-hand corner of this icon that we will dedicate this morning. Established in 1916, St. Philip's was an African-American parish of this diocese in a time when segregation along racial lines was the norm, not only in practice, but also in structure. By all accounts, St. Philip's was a place of vibrant ministry and wonderful memories. But it was not given the same resources that St. Luke's and others were. And so in 1970, St. Philip's was closed and merged into St. Luke's, and Libby became a member here. While I lament that St. Philip's was not able to continue thriving in its ministry, our parish, St. Luke's, has forever been changed for the better by having members of St. Philip's as a part of our beloved community for the past 50 years. Libby, who was born in 1919 and died on January 6, 1989, did many wonderful things, serving as the president of the National Educators Association, as the director of the Labor Department's Women's Bureau, as a leader in the civil rights and women's rights movements. And in talking with her goddaughter, Dora Wood, and her close friend, Dee Dee Wright, more than any of those sorts of accomplishments that get listed in an obituary, Libby was also a great friend and mentor. And those who had the honor of knowing Libby know that it was her faith that God was with her and that she was a beloved child of God that made all of these things possible. And not only did she know this about herself, but she believed it about everyone else. In every child, she knew that God was with them, and that gave them an innate dignity and worth, even if the world wasn't gonna give it to them. Hers is such a great legacy, and I am so incredibly pleased that hers will be the first icon put in the nave of this, her home church. Now this particular icon, you'll recall, is not sponsored by an individual donor, but the entire congregation. And so I invite and encourage you to contribute, if you have not yet, to this project, as we ensure that this great witness of God's grace and beloved community is a part of the fabric of this parish for future generations. As you contribute, make that gift in thanksgiving for all the ways in which God is with you in your life. In thanksgiving for your baptism, 
in response to the great love that God has shown us all in Jesus Christ. Whatever you are facing today, hear these words of God spoken directly to you. You are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you.